You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Adam Mutasib. Uh, the this, this song we sang, Not Here I Am to Worship, the one before that is called Display Declare. It's actually based on a mission statement. And uh, Spencer actually wrote that song, and it's now available on Spotify. So if you'd like, yeah. Thank you, Spencer. So hopefully the uh, RCC revenue from our songs is, is just <laughs> flying in. We got, we got Hey Barnabas, we got Display Declare. We are really blessed, aren't we? And the thing we need most isn't a great worship leader or a great preacher or a great venue. The thing we need most this morning is God. And this morning, we're going to see him in Exodus. And today, uh, I mentioned this earlier, we start this exciting adventure through this very famous book. And you might be asking yourself, why Exodus? Why would we do this book? Well, you obviously have not seen The Prince of Egypt, because you would not be asking that question if you saw the greatest animated film of all time. Uh, for the baby boomers out there, listen, we're really glad you're here. You have, you know, the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, you know, the, up there with the, the staff, right? I'm trying to reach all the demographics this morning. Uh, Gen Z, I don't know what you have. <laughs> but if you have not seen, you know, the Ten Commandments, you haven't seen the Prince of Egypt, you might know that Exodus is quite an adventure because it starts with a genocide, then it leads to a baby put on, in a basket on the Nile River. And then uh, uh, royalty adopting this little child named Moses. And this guy, Moses, having an Alexander Hamilton-like ascent to the top of Egypt's empire. And then an Alexander Hamilton-like descent into the wilderness, where he becomes a nobody. And God intervenes in this guy's Moses' life, and he, and he uses Moses to call his people out of slavery in Egypt. And we, through the story, we see burning bushes and ten plagues and a wild escape from Egypt through the Red Sea while an army pursues them. And then we see a, a journey through the wilderness, and then the Ten Commandments, and a pillar of fire, and clouds dropping Krispy Kreme from the sky for God's people. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting things in this book. And if all that isn't enough to pique your interest, I, what I want to do this morning is something I've really never done before. This is going to be a unique sermon, but I just want to give you a, a high-level overview of the book and, and really just five reasons why we need this book in our lives, why Exodus has something to say to you over the next few months. And my, really, my only goal for today is that you leave this room wanting to know and study Exodus and on top of that, wanting to bring a friend with you next week as we jump in to chapter 1. Uh, if this message were a meal, it'd be tapas. You get a little bit of everything. I just want to thank my Spanish brothers and sisters for tapas. If you have no idea what tapas is, uh, get cultured, please. Uh, basically, uh, if you're a college student, tapas is like the apple, Applebee's like sampler with the buffalo wings and the guac. and the, It's everything, right? It's a little bit of everything. Uh, and that, we, get, we just get a little bit of everything, and my hope is you still leave full. You just get a little bit of a, a lot of things. So let's jump in. Five reasons why we need the book of Exodus. The first reason we need it is because Exodus, what it does is it actually increases our knowledge of the Bible, God's word to us. Increases our knowledge of the Bible. I'm sure many of you have seen the, the, uh, the series Star Wars. 
And when the latest trilogy came out and disappointed everybody, if you went to see it without having seen the first like six movies, episodes one through six, you probably were a little confused at times. It's a cool movie, but I, I, I'm missing a lot. Like when this giant hairy monkey comes on the scene, so like, right? <laughs> You're probably a little shocked and then confused when suddenly the audience bursts out into applause at this giant hairy monkey screaming on the, on the screen. What? Why are people freaking out? Yeah, Chewbacca! Well, the reason you're confused is because you have no context into the story. If you were familiar with the story, you would have freaked out with everyone else and said, Han Solo, Chewie, they're back. Well, you're going to feel similarly confused if you read the Bible without knowing the book of Exodus. Because it is actually the most frequently referenced book in the scriptures. Did you know Exodus is referred to throughout other books of the Bible over 120 times? And Exodus has the most referenced Bible verse in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the, the verse that Nana just read. That verse is quoted more than 27 times throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament alone, actually. So it's referenced other times in the New Testament. So basically, Exodus 34, 6 through 7 is the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. That the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. The reason it's quoted over and over and over again is because it's a clear statement of who God is in the Old Testament, perhaps in the Bible, and it's referenced over and over again. And so what happens if we don't know Exodus, not just chapter 34, verses 6 or 7, but the entire book, is you'll miss really the, the theme and the points of the Bible because you have no context. And when you do understand it, you'll have these moments alone with God when you're reading the Psalms or reading the book of Hebrews or reading the Gospels even, where you get excited like Chewbacca jumps on the page in the Bible. Arrgh! Just think about that in your next quiet time. Basically, because what's happening is in the Psalms, in the Hebrews, in the Gospels, every, almost every book of the Bible, there's a callback, a reference to the book of Exodus. You see echoes of Exodus when Jesus climbs the mountain to meet with God, like Moses climbed a mountain to meet with God in the Gospels. And what happens, Jesus comes and his, his face is full and shining of glory, right? Just like Moses' face shined like the sun in the book of Exodus. Or when Jesus feeds 5,000 people with manna from heaven, which is a direct correlation and connection to God providing manna from heaven to his people in the book of Exodus. And what happens? Jesus builds on that and calls himself the true bread or the true manna from heaven on which we must take to be sustained, to survive. In Romans 9, God uses Pharaoh as a living illustration of, of soteriology or our study of our salvation. He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and wrath on whom I have wrath. And he uses Pharaoh from the book of Exodus as the example. And so if you don't read Exodus, you're like, I don't know what he's talking about here. In, in the book of Matthew, the, you know the entire book of Matthew is built around the Exodus story, particularly the beginning, because in Matthew, Jesus, like Israel, goes down to Egypt for a period of time because of a dictatorial leader whose intent is to kill innocent firstborns children. And then in Matthew 2.15, we learn Jesus' journey to Egypt and his return are a fulfillment of prophecy in Hosea 11.1, that out of Egypt I have called my son, just like he called Israel out of Egypt. 
And then after Jesus returns from Egypt, he's baptized in the Jordan River, which parallels the journey of Israel out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea, reaching the promised land like Exodus. Later, just like Israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus wanders in the wilderness for 40 days without food or water. And he encounters the temptation of Satan, just like Israel encountered the temptation of Satan. But Jesus was faithful where Israel was unfaithful. And Jesus overcomes the temptation by standing firmly upon the word of God. And of course, the scriptures that Jesus uses to confront Satan and his temptations all come from the book of Deuteronomy, which deals with the wilderness experience of Israel that happened in Exodus. And after his victory over Satan, Jesus proceeds to give the Sermon on the Mount, which is the laws of the kingdom. And the entire scene parallels Moses coming down and giving the Ten Commandments. Jesus comes down and gives the true laws of the kingdom, the fulfilled, the, the complete laws of the kingdom. So the entirety of Christ's life and work is mirrored in the Exodus. Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says, The major portion of the vocabulary used to express the saving work of God in Christ is drawn from what? The Exodus event. And so, friend, if you want a deeper, richer understanding of the beauty of the Bible and the intricacies of God's redemptive work in history, come along with us as we study the book of Exodus. Second reason we read the book is because it increases our confidence in the Bible. We know that uh, Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Uh, Jesus affirms this in Mark chapter 6. And it can be easy to read the, the, the words of Moses in Exodus and think, this is a bit ridiculous. There's a, a Red Sea that's split in two that Israel walks through. There's an angel of death killing innocent, seemingly innocent children. There's a, a pillar of fire. There's a, a burning bush. And for many of you young scholar folks, we have tons of PhDs and master's degrees in this room. Your professors are probably saying to you, this is ridiculous. You might be thinking this is ridiculous. Did this even happen? And you, really, when you study history, though, it actually reinvigorates our faith in these events. You know, for many scholars, the argument isn't if the Exodus happened, it's when the Exodus happened. You know, there's a mountain of historical evidence that Egypt was enslaving a Semitic people in the decades leading up to the Exodus. There's a Washington Post article titled, Search for the Signs of the Exodus, by archaeologist Herschel Shanks. And he says, this is a secular article, that there is much evidence to support a 13th century Exodus. He says, the great Israeli archaeologist Yigdal Yadin once told me, what nation would invent such a crazy story, a crazy origin story in a sense? that they were slaves in Egypt, and they left that country and came to this country, and then make that the kernel of all their history. Even if you want to minimize the exodus, there's a core of truth there. The likelihood, therefore, is that there was a real exodus and a real desert wandering. The literary evidence, although doubtless exaggerated, this guy's not a Christian, is too powerful to be denied. And he says, at the core of all these stories, despite what he would call their embellishment, by centuries of tradition, they reflect genuine history. And not only history, as a reflection of an oppressed people's struggle for freedom and its, of its confrontation with the divine. The first in history, where a God stands with the oppressed as opposed to the privileged. It's a phenomenal story, but it's not just a story, it's our history as humans. 
Archaeology has shown us that uh, there's actually one piece of ancient Egyptian literature named Papyrus 348 that dates back to Ramses II around 1300 BC, around what we believe is the time of the Exodus. And it speaks of Egypt at that time enslaving a Semitic people called the Apiru to drag stones to the great pylon or the pyramids. And many scholars have made the connection that the Egyptian word Apiru is very similar to the Hebrew word for Hebrew. And they think this is actually a reference, a historical reference, to the ancient Israelites in Egypt. There's also another Egyptian stone pillar discovered by archaeologists dating back to the 13th century with an inscription of Pharaoh boasting of his victories, including over the land of Israel. And the inscription says, Israel is laid to waste, its seed is not, meaning they've been taken. I mean, there's tons of evidence supporting an Exodus event. Uh, even atheistic scholar Bart Ehrman, who's led many people away from the truthfulness of the Bible, he teaches at University of North Carolina, he says, what is beyond reasonable dispute is that Israel existed as a recognizable people in Egypt sometime in the late 13th century. And so the question for us isn't, did the Exodus happen? It's, how did they Exodus? And... My point to you, unbeliever, would be, it makes sense to me that the God who set up the laws of nature bent the laws of nature to free his people. Or did they somehow get out on their own? That's the question for us as we go through this series. And I believe for you, if you're not a Christian or you're pursuing your faith or you're doubting your faith, that you will see that there's a lot of truthfulness throughout history in the scriptures. Third reason why we want this book. Let's get to the heart for a second. Exodus, what it does ultimately is it increases our affections for Jesus Christ. You know, Exodus is known as the redemption book of the Bible. That's why we titled this series, Redemption Remembered. And I figured, you know, if we're going to be called Redemption City Church, we probably should know the redemption book of the Bible. The word Exodus literally means delivered or set free, to go out. And it's because Israel is delivered from the their slavery to, by the Egyptian people to the freedom in the promised land. And really, ultimately, what Exodus is, is a redemption story. And Exodus' story is our story. If you want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you want to understand what Jesus accomplished for us, study the book of Exodus, because the primary illustration of the gospel, of our salvation in the New Testament, is what happens in this book. It's used frequently as a picture of the gospel. In fact, you'll find throughout the Bible and the, the book that we have a lot in common with Israel. We're about as, as uh, complaining and stupid and weak as Israel. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul calls Jesus our Passover lamb. Remember how Israel put the, the, the blood of the lamb on the door and the angel of death passed by and didn't kill the, the sons of Israel only because the blood of an innocent lamb protected them. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, Jesus is our Passover lamb. His innocent blood was shed for us. And it is only his blood, that's the one thing that protects us from the wrath of God that we deserve. And this is all throughout the scriptures. Moses says, um, actually later in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, that the Lord your God will eventually raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is him you shall listen. And what Moses is saying at the end of the Exodus event is, Israel has been freed from slavery, but they're going to be enslaved again by the Babylonians and a plethora of other people. But a prophet is coming 
who will provide a greater exodus, a permanent exodus, a final exodus. He will be the greater and true Moses, of which if you find yourself in him, you will be set free. And the New Testament tells us who this greater prophet is. Jude went so as far as to say that Jesus is our true and better Moses. He is our true and better Exodus. He delivers us out of slavery to sin. Israel obviously was enchained by their oppressors in Egypt, but the gospel tells us we have been enchained by our sin, by our idolatry, by our pride, by our brokenness. And you, you might say, well, I'm not enslaved. Yes, you are. How do I know? Here's how I know. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that so consumes you that you at times have fallen to your knees in exhaustion because it demands so much of you? That's called slavery. Is there anything in your life that you want so badly, so deeply in your soul that when you don't get it, you become a different person? You become like a dog in a cage. Because it matters so deeply to you. Is there anything in your life that you say, oh, once I have that, then I'll finally be free. Then I'll finally be happy. Once I finish this residency, once I get this diploma, once I get this promotion, once I find that husband or that wife, once I have this kid, once this kid graduates, You see where you're at. You're a slave to masters you have handed chains to. I have been enslaved, even as a Christian, by many things in my life. My career, people's opinions of me, my parents' approval, by money, by being comfortable, having the perfect family. All good things that can enchain us. Drive us to our knees. Turn us into different people. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has come to break the chains of what we have enslaved ourselves with. Galatians 4.8 uses the language of Exodus to make this very point. That formerly, before we knew Christ, we were enslaved to the idols that we worshipped. But now that we have come to know Christ, rather, Christ has come to know us, we are to stop worshipping created things that enslave us and instead worship Jesus who sets us free. In fact, in Luke 9, 31, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes to this mountain with three of his closest disciples, and he's talking to Moses. In all his glory, Jesus is talking to Moses about his departure, the Scripture says. And the word departure in the Greek literally is the word exodus. Did you know that? Meaning, Jesus' departure, his triumphant death and resurrection is the greater exodus. Whereas Moses defeats Egypt and leads Israel through the waters of the Red Sea and makes them this new nation and gives them God's good law and takes them to this good land, Jesus defeats an even fiercer superpower for us, death. And he leads us through the waters of the grave and he gives us God's law, not on some tablets, but on our hearts written for us by his spirit. And he He creates this new nation of every tribe and tongue and nationality called the church. And he gives the church this new nation, this charge to tell the world of God's redemptive love that frees others from slavery. 
And though, like Israel, we sojourn and thirst and struggle and worship wrong things as we roam through this tumultuous journey of this world, even though we complain, even though idols capture our affections, even though uh, we tend to not be the people God has called us to be, even though we lose hope, even though we even question if the promised land of heaven exists, like Israel did, Jesus still gets us there. He overcomes all our flaws and he gets us there. And so you cannot read Exodus without increasing your affections for Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, the greater Exodus, the greater redemptive story. Psalm 66 says, Come and see what the Lord has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Here are his deeds. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. And that's what we want to do in this series. Come and see the greater Exodus. What Christ has done for us. Fourth reason we need this book is because it's incredibly practical. And it increases our wisdom for the Christian life. There are plenty of topics throughout the book of Exodus that will give you practical instruction for Christian living. Topics like protecting the unborn, which is a hot topic in our culture. Racism. Murder. How God uses weak and ordinary people. Maybe you have a stutter. God has a word for you in Exodus. We learn about the importance of singing praise. How singing is important for the soul. We learn the importance of true community for the soul. We learn how to rely on God's presence daily, even when the circumstances around us are hard and difficult. We learn how to deal with your anger. We don't strike the rock like Moses did and keep us from getting God's blessing. We're patient and calm like Jesus we learn about really practical stuff like leadership and delegation and the need to take counsel from others. Moses is working way too hard and needs to pass off some of that work to some of the people he works with. Anybody deal with that at work? Super practical. We learn about social justice. We learn about obeying God's word. We learn about idolatry and worship. Now, uh, when we talk, we're, we're in an inner city, Baltimore, right? It's mostly progressive, lots of young people. You want what's helpful now. Give me, give me the, the Cliff Notes version. I got stuff to do. And so you might be sitting here like, great, Exodus. Like, why are we spending four months on Exodus? Can't we talk about something like specifically practical, what I'm dealing with, like uh, anxiety? I got a lot of anxiety. Can we do a series on anxiety? Or uh, parenting. Can we spend 10 weeks on parenting? Because I have no idea what I'm doing here. Or how do I live a purpose-driven life? Things like that. Good topics, right? Why, why would we spend the rest of this year going through this book? And here's my ultimate answer for you. My answer is, the book of Exodus is ultimately about God. And what you and I need most is a right understanding and a right view of who God is. Because that shapes and affects every felt need we can ever imagine. And if you've come in here and you're like, gosh, I'm really anxious and I, I, I would really appreciate a series on how to overcome addiction or, or what to do with fear or how to address my doubt, what I want to say to you, friend, is Exodus is going to help get underneath and, and provide a foundation for all of those other concerns that will help address those for you. 
Because in Exodus, we get a view of God that can transcend all these things and give us a confidence in the God of the Bible who still lives today. And it is a poor understanding of God that leads to so many ills in our hearts, so many brokenness in our relationship. A.W. Tozer says that the most important thing, the most uh, instrumental thing in our lives is what we think about when we think about God. And when we see God as he is in the book of Exodus, high and lifted up, splitting the Red Sea to save his people, molding the heart of Pharaoh to accomplish his eternal purposes, dropping donuts from the sky to feed his people when they're hungry, we begin to see that though medication and therapy can be very helpful tools, ultimately it is this God that gives calm and peace to our souls. How? Let me tell you how. Specifically when it comes to your anxiety. Everyone in this room, you live one of two ways. Either you trust God or you're trying to be God. You either trust Him or you're trying to be Him. There is no middle ground. You are, everyone in this room, you are, ask yourself right now, am I trusting Him or trying to be Him? And the book of Exodus, what it does is it slowly frees you. To see, I'm not God. Like, you should probably take that weight off yourself, friend. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't be everything for everyone. You can't fix everything. You don't know everything. You can't avoid every bad outcome, and it's not your job to. I don't know about you, but when bad things happen, I always turn inward and say, what did I do wrong? Tell that to Moses. Tell that to Jesus. And I, I battle this, man. I battle anxiety a lot from your pastor's heart, especially our church has grown a lot. We were eight people in a living room. Now we're like 300 people. And I want to know all of you, and I can't. I want to speak directly into all your life. I want to meet all your needs. I can't. I can't even meet my own needs. And I got three little kids who want me. I got an amazing wife who wants to spend time with me. And I don't know, I just battle like this feeling of I got to be everywhere at once. I got to avoid every bad thing that happens in the church. And I'll try and be God rather than trust him a lot. And this is why we need this book. Because it reminds us someone else has that job. And he's a lot better than I am at it. Like God loves me and is so powerful that he will drop ten plagues on a nation to protect me. He's got frogs jumping around. He will turn the river to blood to save you. You have a God that can literally split a sea to lead you to where he wants you to go. He does not need your help. He'll get you there. He's watching over you. He, this is a crazy thought in the Bible. that The Bible makes this point a lot. He knows your name. Andrew said that point last week. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He's watching. We find next week that Israel's crying out in pain, and God says, I heard their cries, and I'm coming. God has no panic. Do you know the Bible says God's sitting down right now? I don't know about you, but I, when I'm sitting down, I'm chilling. God's sitting down because there ain't nothing that's threatening him. Satan is not a threat. It's a tool for his glory. So whether you're battling an illness or a, t- a really tough job situation, 
or your house is messed up and you can't fix it, or you just have an ache, ache in your soul, you can't discern what it is. Exodus reminds us, that's not your job to fix all that. Sure, you have some responsibilities, but he's got the role. Maybe you're worried about the upcoming election. Yeah, God's going to figure that out. Daniel 2 says he appoints and descends kings. Maybe you care about your kids and you can't relax because you're always watching them. You are helicopter mom. Exodus reminds you, man, you can have fun. You can relax. He's watching them too. And what this does is it gives you what I call a gospel chill. I'm limited in my power. He's unlimited in his power. I'm limited in my knowledge. I can't answer all your questions. He can. He has no limit to his knowledge. I can't see everything or be everywhere. He can. He's outside of time and space. And the thing you and I most need for peace in our souls is to know the God of Exodus. And that's what the book gives us. Maybe you're looking for something else practical like parenting. Maybe you're like me and you've you got three little kids. I got three little boys, six, three, about to be four and two. And my youngest son is two years old, has developed a new hobby. He loves running out in the traffic. Last Sunday, he like literally ran out into the street during a green light. It's a game to him. He's like laughing and giggling as he runs. Ah! You're going to die. <laughs> we have, sometimes we have to lock him in the house just to keep him safe. Like, it feels like for me, half the time when I'm parenting, I'm just trying to keep my kids from killing themselves. And the other half, I haven't eaten all day and I have a sandwich and they stick it down their pants or something. <laughs> the other day, my oldest son, Aiden, colored himself green so he could look like the Hulk. You know how hard it is to get green off a child? My middle son the other day ran outside naked and peed on the sidewalk while the mailwoman was delivering our mail. <laughs> what does Exodus have for me? How is Exodus going to address this situation? Like, this mailwoman needs counseling. She literally had urine near her leg. Our mail comes very late nowadays. And when we see the God of Exodus loving his children, even when they won't shut up, like all you have, I just freaking saved you from chains and you're whining already. I just saved you and you're still doubting me. I mean, God is the ultimate parent in the road trip and his kids are in the back saying, are we there yet? It's been five minutes. And when we see God's covenant faithfulness in this book, we become better parents. We don't need a parent series. We need an exodus series so we can be the parent God is to us. Maybe you're looking for a life of purpose. Look at Exodus 34, 6, the verse Nana read, that God, his character is one of grace. He is merciful. He is abounding, overabundant in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you want a life of purpose, read about the God of Exodus, and that he will show you what a life of purpose looks like by seeing his character in this book. And this makes this book the most practical there could be for us in all the situations we find ourselves in. Last reason we need this book is that Exodus teaches us about the mission of God. 
God's mission to save this world and to save the people in this world does not begin in the Great Commission of Matthew 28 or in the New Testament. It actually begins in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And it really comes alive in the book of Exodus. Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says, Exodus-shaped redemption demands an Exodus-shaped mission. And what that means is that you and I have been saved from something for something. Your ultimate purpose in this life is to join God in the greater exodus he is doing in this world. And anything else you're doing not related to that is a waste of, of your life that will burn up when eternity hits. In Exodus 19, God says to Israel, the world is mine. And then he calls Israel his ambassadors to reach the nations with the love of God, with his laws, his good laws that create a good society. And Israel fails. And we come to the New Testament and find Christ succeeds where Israel fails. He fulfills the mission of God. And then he gathers us up as his people and he sends us out as his people. And Redemption City Church, our ultimate purpose is not to get here and have a good time. Our ultimate purpose is to go out there and tell people about the greater exodus Jesus is willing to give to people in chains. And this mission that God has sent us out into is not just spiritual, but it is physical as well. We find in this book that God cares about our physical needs. God hears the cries of the enslaved and rescues them. He, he moves the flows of rivers to ch save children that are about to be murdered. He moves the heart of a princess to adopt an orphan. He sets up a new law in a new society that actually protects the poor. It doesn't just enable the rich. There's, he sets up a law that has jubilee years where like every 40 years, all debt is forgotten. College students would love that. We're trying in our society. It's not working. I'm not saying that's what we need to do. I'm just saying God looks out for the poor in this book, something that was unprecedented in this time period. We see a God who is on a mission to seek the welfare of not just our spiritual health, but our physical health. From the womb to the tomb, God cares for us. And God has not changed in his redemptive mission. He wants his church to help the vulnerable through foster care, through helping with unplanned pregnancies, through feeding the hungry, through helping the poor get back up on the freight and not just giving them a dollar to be asking another dollar the next day. He's fighting against sex trafficking in the Bible. Like God, we are to be concerned about physical needs and spiritual needs. We aren't so physically focused that we hand out bread without mentioning the bread of life. But we aren't so spiritually focused that we hand the dying man a gospel tract while he suffers from hunger. Jesus rails on the Pharisees in the New Testament for tithing and obliging with religious rituals, for showing up on Sundays and tithing their 10%, but ignoring the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice to the needy. Psalm 145 says, God has compassion on all that he has made. And there are 50 million slaves in our world today, more than ever in history. There are 125,000 kids in the U.S. foster care system begging for someone to be mom or dad. Recently, our Baltimore City uh, foster care system was too full that they were putting kids in hospital rooms. About one-fourth of Baltimore City residents live below the poverty line. And there are still, there are 3.4 billion unreached people groups in our world, peoples in our world, that likely will go their whole lifetime without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves them from their sin. And so, 
In this book, we learn our role is to be like Jesus, to be like God in this book, to meet physical needs, and not just focus on electing the right politician or handing out a sandwich or uh, scratching an itch that will just be itchy later. We want to set the captive free and tell them about Jesus Christ so they're not enslaved by other captors and idols in this world. And at the same time, our role is not solely to meet spiritual needs where we run our programs, do our gospel communities, build our buildings, install our elevators while the slave remains in his chains. Our role is to be like the God of Exodus, a God on mission to rescue the oppressed of their physical needs, all the while telling them about their biggest spiritual need, Jesus Christ saving them from their sin. And if you're in this room right now, that is the call of your life. That is the most important thing you can be doing with your life. And that is the central truth of this book. The central truth of of really the Bible and Exodus is God has been setting a people apart for himself. A people to display his glory to and a people to display his glory through. He has gathered us up as his people. He has shown us his glory in Christ. And now he wants to reflect the glory of Christ through our lives. And God's mission has not changed. He wants to do an exodus in Baltimore City. He is not done rescuing people, friend. And so my hope for this series is that we would see people freed. Freed of physical bondage. Freed of broken marriages. Freed of captivity to their sin. And wouldn't it be, I, I would love for every week of this series to see the baptismal filled. Filled with uh, an orphan who's found a new family. Filled with a single mom. Filled with uh, somebody who was formerly homeless. Filled with a former addict. Filled with a burnt out young professional whose life is their job. Filled with a college student who used to struggle with doubt. To tell the world about this redemption story called Exodus. And so as we close... Let's join in on, with God on this mission to meet physical needs and to tell people about their greatest spiritual need, Christ. And if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, listen, every single person has a Genesis, but not everyone has an Exodus, a deliverance from bondage. And our hope for you this series is that you would come to Christ to be set free. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are so fickle, so prone to wander. Um, we often worship things you have made rather than you. Our money and our, our joy and our time often flows to lesser things than your mission and more importantly, you. And Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room that they would not just have a Genesis but an Exodus. That would be set free from sin and brought into the freedom known in in the church of knowing Christ. We pray for the Christian in this room that they would give their life to the mission of God, that they would see the Christ of the Scriptures and be like the Christ of the Scriptures, that they would be Christ's ambassador in this city, telling everyone they know about Christ and meeting physical needs along the way. 
And we, we pray you would do abundantly more than we can even ask or think or imagine through this series as we go through this wonderful book, do a new exodus in our city. Help us see lives change, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.